Our text today is the last one in our series called His Story. Started back in January, did not expect the year to go the way it went. I don't know how many churches as a, a theme for this year was 2020. Let's develop a 2020 vision. And boy, I have thought through the years, I'm, uh, through the year, I'm glad we didn't go that route because how many of us could have seen what 2020 was going to hold for us? But one of the things that we could see in this series called His Story is that Jesus is at work. As Joe said, God is in control. And, and Jesus is still at work in the world. And what we've tried to do this year is we've tried to take 52 verses and outline, very much like you would a puzzle, the life of Jesus. And today we come to the last piece. Now, y'all, I'm not a puzzle person. Uh, I like Sudoku instead. Uh, I enjoy all the number games. But trying to put together a thousand-piece puzzle... But let me tell you, if I was a puzzle person, that last piece would be the best piece of all. You know, you're finally putting the last one in place. And what we're doing in this outline of our puzzle is we're putting the last piece in place, and it comes from Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Now, there's a problem for a lot of us when we talk about the book of Revelation. We don't tend to study it. We don't tend to read it. We don't tend to think that it has really anything to say to us today. And that is so unfortunate because the book of Revelation, yes, it is an apocalyptic book. That word apocalyptic means that it's written in a way that uses a lot of images that we're not familiar with. I mean, there's dragons in the book of Revelation. There's plagues. There's pandemics. We are at least be able to relate to that one now. I mean, all kinds of things going on in the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is really about God's ultimate victory in the world. It's about God being in control. And, and, and our final text comes from the last chapter of Revelation. Uh, three very simple verses, Revelation 22, 3, 4, and 5, and yet full of just incredible information. Notice what John writes here. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And if you would allow me, I would like to just spend a few minutes this morning unpacking this incredible vision that John had of our future. That's what he's talking about. He begins with these words, there no longer will be any curse. Now, unfortunately, we are not in our faith tradition big on the curse. In fact, I didn't know what the fall was until I guess I went off to graduate school. I mean, we just didn't preach on the fall when I was growing up in churches of Christ. And I think the reason for that is that we have a habit, or at least had a habit in churches of Christ, of if we disagreed with one of our uh, fellowships next door to us, we tended to go overboard in reacting to them. For instance, let me give you an example. The Holy Spirit. I grew up in a time where we were scared to death of the Holy Spirit. 
And the reason was because there were people who believed that you could still speak in tongues, that the Holy Spirit would give you utterances. And I have friends who still believe that today. But, but what we ended up doing because of our fear of the gifts of the Spirit, we just decided to get rid of the Spirit completely. And so growing up as a, as a teenager, I never heard any lessons on the Holy Spirit except what the Holy Spirit did not do and what gift of the Holy Spirit we did not give. And so we threw the baby out with the bathwater. We did the same thing on a doctrine called total depravity. Some of our religious friends believe that when we're born, we're born totally depraved. We're born with Adam's sinful nature. And, and therefore, we're lost the moment we're born. We're evil from birth. And of course, we reacted to that. And we said, no, no, no. Babies are born pure and innocent before God. It's only when we get to know a knowledge of good and evil that we become sinners ourselves. But once again, like so many other areas, we threw the baby out with the bathwater. The best way to fight total depravity or the belief in being born with Adam's sin is just get rid of the fall. And so we just refuse to talk about the fall. But the Bible says a lot about the fall. I mean, here in Revelation 22, one of the first things that John says he heard about the new Jerusalem and, and, the, and the throne room of God was that there was no longer any curse there. What curse is he talking about? Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you have the fall. I mean, that's what's going on here. Man sins... God drives him out of the garden, and the relationship that he had with God in the beginning is no longer there. That's the fall. And notice the language that's used here. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed. Cursed is the ground. And you have to appreciate the, the subtle message that's coming through the text here. You see... The first man's name was Adam. Now, Adam simply means dirt. And so if your name is Adam, I'm sorry. But your name means dirt. And, and he was called that because that's what God made us from. And, and so, notice the text here. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the dirt, the Adamah. And, of course, all you have to do is take the A-H off the end of it and you have Adam's name. He's named Adam because he's taken from the Adamah. He goes on in the text and he says, the Adamah is going to produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat the plants of the field. It's no longer the fruits of the trees of the garden. It's now the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat uh, your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. That's the curse. You go on in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, as he's speaking to uh, the Jewish people, he said, can I tell you something about what you have done because of your sin to all of creation? Look at the language here. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens, notice the language there, languishes with the earth. The earth is defiled by its people, by us. Adam and Eve and all who descended from them. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. And then look at verse 6. Therefore a curse consumes the earth. 
when Jesus came, Jesus recognized that. That so much of our lives have been consumed by the curse. I don't know if you've ever thought about that for a moment. But most of what we do is because of the curse. It's not because we're created in the image of God. It's because we rejected the image of God. Can we just talk a little bit about what we wouldn't be doing if there was no curse? We wouldn't have police officers if there wasn't a curse because there would be no crime. No laws we'd need to obey. There wouldn't be any doctors. I don't know if you ever thought about that. People who decide, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse. Their jobs are in the field of dealing with the curse. There wouldn't be any lawyers. I mean, why would you need lawyers? Because there'd be no laws. You don't need laws where there are no, no sin, there's no curses. And then the one, of course, that offends me the most, you wouldn't need any preachers. I mean, what, what messages would you need to hear if we were in a relationship with God, a perfect, loving relationship without the curse? You see, most of the time in our life, we're just struggling with the curse. Work, work that is to survive, is a part of the curse. Now, work that is simply to glorify God is different. But that's not the work that so many of us are involved in. And then I think of what's happened this year. I mean, you want to understand the curse? Just take a look at what COVID has done to the world. I mean, the world is languishing because of the curse. And the reason that Jesus came was to reverse the curse. I love that little rhyme that takes place there. That's why he came into the world. One of my favorite stories is in Matthew chapter 8. It's the first miracle Jesus performs in Matthew's gospel. And it's the healing of a leper. Now, I want you to think about lepers. Lepers were people who were unclean. Lepers had to wear masks on their faces. I don't know if you ever, you're, you're looking at this guy going, where's his mask? Well, he's allowed it to drop down like most of us do, right? I mean, y'all ever watch the NFL football uh, coaches who have been told you don't wear a mask, you're going to be fine, and you'll look, and they'll start off with a mask, and then about halfway through the game, it's down here, you know? But they had to wear a mask. They had to stay socially distanced from people. Anytime you approached a leper, you had to say, unclean, unclean, if you were a leper. And so this man approached Jesus. You can imagine Peter, Andrew, James, and John as they're recoiling in fear. I mean, by the way, I've done that over this past year. I don't know how many times I've had wonderful Christian people who don't understand the meaning of six feet. I mean, they just don't understand it. They understand the meaning of six inches. And I mean, I'm sitting here with a mask on, and they're right here, and I'm backing up, and they're following me. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to get a pole, six-foot pole, and I'm just going to hold it out, you know. I don't know if y'all seen that new invention, but they've invented this thing that women used to wear that has this six-foot hoop on it. And you can wear it, and people can't get within six feet of you, you know. It's just kind of hard to go up and down some of the aisles. That's what the curse does. When Jesus met lepers, he touched them. But he didn't become unclean. They became clean. When he met the blind, they could see. When he met some of the dead, they were given life. Hunger met with food. Storms 
peace, be still. Everything about the curse, Jesus reversed until he finally went to the cross. I love what the book of Galatians and what Paul says about what happened on the cross. This is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And that's why in Revelation 22, John says, listen, in the age to come, there is no longer any curse. And not only that, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. In other words, God's presence will be here. You know, I don't know about you, but if I get the virus, I want the doctors that treated the president to treat me. That's, that's who I want, you know. I mean, I want the best doctors. I want the latest medicine. And, of course, when you look at this text here, you see that in the creation to come, guess whose presence we're going to be in? It's God's presence. What do we fear when we're in God's presence? And the answer is nothing. That's what's so exciting about the text here. And then notice, and his servants will serve him. The word used there for serve him is latruo. Latruo is not the normal Greek word to serve. It's a word that was used to describe people who, for instance, in a church setting, who pass out communion, who greet at the doors, who teach our children in Sunday school classes, who lead the singing. It's those who serve by leading in worship. And that's what he says here is, can I tell you what eternity is going to be like? At least part of it is going to be what George has always envisioned. George, I was thinking about you when I look at Revelation chapter 7. Here is John, and he's allowed a peep into the, into the heavenly throne room before the new creation comes. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a, a great multitude that no one would, could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were bearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, you get this vision of every type of person in all the world, every language, every race, every social economic status, doesn't matter. They're all here before the throne room of God, and guess what? They're worshiping. The text goes on to talk about how when the angels saw that, they too bowed down in worship. And then there were these elders that surrounded the throne, and one of the elders asked John, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? John says, sir, you know. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then beginning in verse uh, chapter 7, verse... I apologize for that. I meant to go with my glasses. There we go. I want you to listen to the text here. This is beginning in verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. 
And he who sits on the throne will spread his ten, uh, a tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down upon them, nor any scorched heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, George, how would you like to lead the singing of that group? And then you have this verse. And they will see his face. I, I, I love that particular text. They will see his face. You know, we're so used to seeing people's faces. Of course, now with mask on, that's a different story. I mean, I go in, in Walmart or the supermarket occasionally and... I'll look think, is that who I think it is? And I think, I don't know if it is, and I'm embarrassed to ask them if it is. And, and so very seldom do you see people now and go, hey, you know, because you're just not quite sure who they are. You can't quite see their faces. You know, you look at the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So you have this amazing text that says you can't see God's face. But here in Revelation, he says, but one day you will. I love this story right here. This is a story that came out this year. The man's name there is Glenn. The woman's name is Barbara. Forty-four, excuse me, 42 years from when this picture was taken, Barbara had given Glenn up in adoption. Barbara was the oldest of eight children. She got pregnant out of wedlock. She said, my, my parents couldn't feed the eight of us, much less a newborn. And she said, I wanted him to have a life. And so she saw him for one day, and, and then he was taken away. Glenn began to wonder who his mother was and began to search for her. It took several years before the laws finally opened up enough that he could find out who his birth mother was. He contacted her, and this is the first time they met right here at the airport. I want you to look at that picture. First time in 42 years this mother had seen her son. And the first time her son had ever seen his mother. I can't help but think that will be something about what we will do when we finally see God. When we look into his eyes and realize this is the one who created us. This is the one who redeemed us. Not only will they see his face, but his name. You see, Glenn's name's not the same as his mother, Barbara. God says, you know what? I'm going to give my people a new name. And I'm going to put it where everybody can see it. I'm going to put it, put it on their foreheads. You know. Uh, I got something in the mail yesterday. My, my grandchildren call me Pops. That's a name that I got from my youngest son many, many years ago. And so when I became a grandfather, they officially named me Pops. And, and I've got a wood shop out back of the house. And yesterday, something came in the mail, and I opened it up. And it simply says, Pops Shop. And it's a metal bracket that I'm going to hang up identifying my shop. God, what's in a name? Everything's in a name. And God's name will be upon us. He goes on to say there will be no more night. They will not need light or lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. You know, one of the things we take for granted is light. We're so used to light. Light's all around us. We're the first generation. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. We're the first generation that carries light with us almost 24 hours a day. 
I don't know where you keep your phone. My phone is right down on the steps, right below the bed where we sleep. I mean, my phone's within reaching distance, and all I've got to do is take it, hit one little button on it, and guess what? I've got light. But I think of my dad's generation. My dad was a senior in high school before electricity came to North Mississippi. 1950. And and I think about what it was like to grow up when you didn't have light. When on a night when it was dark outside and it was cloudy outside, on the only light you had anywhere was the light of a coal oil lamp or maybe a candle burning somewhere. I mean, if you had grown up in absolute darkness, this verse here would mean so much to you. You see, we don't need light in the new Jerusalem because God is our light. Genesis 1, 3, it's interesting. The first thing God created was, let there be light, and there was. That's how important light is. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, John writes about Jesus. That's why the light is so important. And then the last one. And they will reign forever and ever. Have you ever thought about what you'll do for eternity? You see, so oftentimes we don't don't think about it. In fact, we think, well, the Bible really doesn't tell us. Yes, it does. Here's one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. Because what this verse simply tells us is that God, once He takes away the curse, restores us to what we were intended to be. You see, you go back to the book of Genesis and you see that mankind was created to reign. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule. We were created to rule over God's creation. You go to the book of Psalms, you have made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand and you put everything under their feet. That's what God created us to do. And when you say, what do you mean rule? What do you mean reign? It means to take this creation that God gives to us and bring order that is just absolutely beautiful and wonderful and praiseworthy out of it. One of the things that June and I gave our our oldest grandson was a Lego set. Now, I don't know about you. I hate Legos. I do. I'm sorry. If you love Legos, I apologize for that. I hate them because I hate stepping on them at night. You know, when you get up and all at once you're like, what is this on the floor I'm stepping on? And then putting them together. But let me tell you something. I wouldn't take anything for a picture that June and I got yesterday. A picture of the Lego set that we gave our son, our grandson, and he had put it together and he was sitting at the kitchen table with the biggest smile on his face. Pops, Gigi, look what I made. And in so many ways, that's the picture that God looks for in our lives. I mean, He created us to rule over His creation, to reflect His image in the world. And that's what we're eventually going to do with Jesus Christ with us. Reigning involves creativity. And one day, we'll be restored to what God created us to be. I love this one verse from an old song. Paul picks up from it. It's it's Greek poetry, and so we know it was probably an early Christian song. He says, here's a trustworthy saying or a trustworthy hymn. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also one day reign with him. And that's what he offers us. That's why this story is so important. 
God simply wants us to be what he created us to be. And that happens when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have any needs, I'm in my office. Just come down and see me. Call me, contact me. One of our elders, I see Rod here today. Just let us know how we can help you and we'd be happy to do so. At this time, I want us everybody, everybody stand. Let's pray. And then George is going to come lead us in a closing song. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this year-long study. Thank you, Father, for his story. Because, Father, it's also our story. And, Father, as we come to the end and we've seen the conclusion of it, Father, bring that day quickly. Oh, Lord, come quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.